Hi, I'm Adam. And I'm Rob. And welcome to Stream Bucket. Yay, another one of these ones. Wait, Screened Bucket. Screened Bucket. Screened Bucket. Screened Bucket. Yes. It's another flashback episode looking at a compilation of some of our film chats of days gone by. How many more of these can we get away with? Uh, A few. A few. We've done this for about a year now. We can squeeze in a few chats. Oh, that's sweet. Cool. What have we got? Well, this week... We've got Clerks yeah. from our very first episode. We've got Indiana Jones and Raiders of Lost Ark. Brilliant. Ooh. And then we have your favourite. Uh, no? I don't think it's my favourite. No. no? Okay. Fear and Loathing. Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Yeah. yeah. So we've got a comedy, an action, and whatever the hell Fear and Loathing <laughs> is. Yeah, absolutely. And then we've got some improv at the end as well. Ooh. Ooh. Didn't think those were meant to see the light of day again. Yes. But there we go. We've got listeners since we stopped doing them. We need to let them know what the show was. Do we? Yes. Fine, fine. fine. Then they will appreciate what it is now. Great. That's a good, <laughs> uh, good strategy. Absolutely. Why are we doing flashback episodes, Rob? Uh, because we're trying to smash the rest of our film out. Um, it's coming along nicely. Uh, last weekend, we had a... Um, special effects extravaganza mm. with like more slime a new kind of slime new kind of slime yeah so this slime was like um bot bo- what was that show crinkly bottom crinkly bottom no's house party no which one was crinkly bottom in no's house party all oh, right yeah the gunge. that's the village yeah, yeah the gunge yes it was more gungy slime and it was better yeah, I think this was made to be used as gunge. The one we used before was more just food thickener. Yeah. That could be used as gunge. Yeah. But we got a really good uh, new uh, young uh, makeup extraordinaire on the team. Absolutely. Who made me... Um, does, she, does she want to be mentioned or does she not? Um, Should we not mention her? Yeah, maybe not. All right, we'll ask her and then... We'll, we'll we'll shout about her another time. Yeah. We did post about her on social media. Yeah, but she's great. Um, I had to be a body a bobble body a bobbly Josh is gonna have strange dreams in the other room. Um, yeah, I was a body double for one of the characters in uh, our movie, mm. so I had to be you covered. Were two, in fact, I was two. Yeah. I had to be covered in all these boils. And you made some really nice pus. I did make some really nice pus. A little bit of yellow paint. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, Yeah, so she stuck the boils on me and you added the pus. And um, Dan, uh, another helper. Yes. uh, He... Our puppeteer. He shoved an air pump into one... Well, a hose. Mm. Into one of my boils. Mm. And we put a balloon... No, he blew into it. The the balloon... Yeah, we... Hollowed out the blister, yeah, the boil, stuck a balloon in there with a tube running out. So he ran that. We ran that down your sleeve, and it was down at the other end, and it made the boil pulsate. And it was disgusting. It looked grim, <laughs> which means the film is going to look incredible. Yeah, absolutely. So, we had. We we're also doing all our puppet stuff. Well, our yes. first lot of puppet stuff, anyway. Yes. It really changes the character of the film when we start having rubber puppets definitely <laughs> on our hands covering the, them in guns there's uh, in the other uh shoots there was all the, the drama and the acting and then this time 
it was the heart and soul. <laughs> Screw the actors. It's about these things. Is there anything you want to mention? I've just got back from Hobson Shaw. And you liked it? I loved it. Hobson Shaw is brilliant. I haven't seen in any of the Fast and Furious films the last few years. Uh, but I don't remember it being quite as... Uh, yeah, it's insane. It's properly sci-fi. There's lots of lasers and computers and robot eyes and things. A transforming motorcycle. Well, that's good because I I understand the love for Fast and Furious, but I'm not really a petrol head. So I think maybe to keep some, you know, magic and excitement and something new in well, the franchise. Of, there's also a, a hook for a sequel. So I don't know if this is going to be its own series. Maybe it will. But it's very silly. It's very... What's the best example? Tango and Cash-ish? Right. Two buddy cop thing who hate each other and they try and beat each other up Do all they the time. stand next to each other whilst they're taking a wee and compare penises? <laughs> they, have a penis Certainly they don't do that. Okay. They should have done. Best part of Tango and Cash. Was... There is a really funny bit when Jason Statham's character, Shaw... Right. Uh... Gives them new identities to get through an airport. Right. And gives The Rock's character, Hobbs, uh, the name Mike Coxmall. Brilliant. Penis. <laughs> Penises. Yeah, that's what we want. Yes. Dick jokes. It was really good. And Ryan Reynolds is in it and it's brilliant. Really, really funny. Yeah, he said. Um, the only thing is the last act, the last third, oh, I was losing interest. I was like, okay, whatever, let's just wrap it up now, wrap it up. Uh, it just helped with those, great. Is he? villain. He's yeah. funny. He's quite straight, which is what I like in a film like that. Right, okay. You have a straight villain and dodgy heroes. Right. Or the other I mean? way around. The other way around, then it's a bit, it's just like, what's the threat, you know? There's no, there's no reason for me to be scared of that guy. You better have the, the villain be the straight guy. Yeah. And the rest be... Goofy, sort of like uh, Guns of the Galaxy, the first one. The hero, the villain's really like a proper threat, and everyone else is like, "Hey, I'm a <sighs> raccoon." I don't feel like there's a million examples of a bad, a silly villain, and I can't think of one. It's a comedy film. With... Ghostface. Yeah, well, that's art. Uh, yeah, okay. Ghostface is he's still a threat, though. Yeah, but he's just clumsy he threat who falls over and you know. Trips downstairs yeah. and has yeah. a drinking problem. <laughs> That's scary movie. <laughs> yeah. uh, what's another one? Um, what's, you do have villains that you love. It, it's like the camp ones, isn't it? It's like the silly, uh, campy Bond villains. But then they're terrifying. Yeah. I was just thinking like Die Hard, but then he is actually quite scary. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. And on with the show? I think on with the show. Should we get started with the theme to community from our very first episode? Yeah. See you at the end. Bush bash. Huh? That's my new catchphrase. Don't ever do it again. Just come back to the Don't end. Don't do it so again. Bush, bush bash. Okay. Steam bucket on no part FM. Beep boop. You have one message. Message one. Oh yes, hello. Um, Richard Curtis here. Uh, I just thought I'd uh, give you a call uh, for Screen Bucket. We had an idea um, for a new rom-com 
called Brexit Actually. Yes, what we were thinking was, what if um, a suburban uh, London type, uh, a sort of man with floppy hair, you know, uh, falls in love with a uh, German politician woman. Yes, and uh, what happens is, is they, they sort of build a relationship and uh, are forced apart, yes. Um, I'm not sure exactly the details. I wondered if we uh, if we could ape off the headlines, you know, and look at how the American president um, gets on with the the Russian dictator. I know it's straight out of the headlines and it's ripping off, but I think it'll be awfully interesting. Anyway, please call me back and we'll uh, we'll discuss details. And that was Clerks by Love Among Freaks. To introduce us a little bit more as people and and our tastes, uh, we thought we'd we'd choose a film that kind of sums us up as people and. A sort of film that people have compared to us anyway. And that was Clerks. Yeah, Clerks, yeah. One of the elitist of elite cult movies. It's a 1994 black and white flick written and directed by Kevin Smith. Yes. Do people still talk about this film? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Certainly people who kind of share our interests anyway. I mean, I went to uni in 2008 and it was sort of essential mm. watching sort of stuff. For yeah, us. no, same for me as well, actually. And it... And it came up a lot in discussion if you were being introduced to a new group of people who you need to make a film with or mm. whatever clerks would always be one of the things that people would say they draw influence from i think cult is the best way to describe it mm. uh, clerks is this um very independent vibe that a lot of people who especially people who want to make films can aspire to it's full of conversations about nonsense and, and pop culture and specifically Star Wars, that we'll talk about a bit later. Um, it's this kind of thing that everyone feels like they have a part of, I think. Yeah, definitely. But it wasn't the first film that kind of did this, was it? No, was it Slackers we looked into? Slackers by Richard Linklater. Later? Yeah, it was uh, it's just another... I mean, how it was described in the trailer we watched was sort of 14 different set pieces or something. Along those lines. Yeah, I feel really bad for not having seen it, I'll be honest. No. I feel like it's a film we probably should have watched. Yeah, we'll, we'll give it a go. We'll give it a yeah, go. It, both films came out in the 90s. Um, there's an interesting kind of 90s thing going on there. I mean, we mentioned Seinfeld already, but that came out at the same sort of time and also had this people just hanging about and talking nonsense vibe. Yeah, disenfranchised youth and the nothingness of their sort of suburban life. Yeah, I think the 90s had this kind of general looking around you and kind of writing what you see a lot more than maybe the aspirational 80s films kind of had it was reflected in so many different things if you think of cartoons as well like ed ed and eddie kids in the suburbs with nothing to do um all sorts of things really yeah absolutely so what have you uh what's you've got some notes there what have you got for us um well so it's a day in a life movie focusing on one dante hicks played by brian o'halloran and his attempts to get through an extremely long and testing work day you know, when he wasn't even supposed to be working. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and So he works at a... He works at a convenience store, and next door to that is a video rental shop, which his friend Randall runs. Yeah, and Dante's really bitter and jealous of Randall, isn't he? Randall turns up at 11.30, mm. doesn't care, spends the rest yeah. of the day just... Messing with his customers. Yeah, yeah, just causing arguments. That's the one thing I thought... You think, how on earth hasn't he been fired? <laughs> it is true. But he has that kind of slacker vibe. The sort of person who gets away with this kind of thing, though, doesn't he? Yeah, definitely. And he's the 
sort of anti-Dante. There's kind of opposites attract thing going on where mm. Dante's always moaning about everything, whereas Randall is glass half full in a way. He is aware of his situation, isn't he? He he knows that he is the bottom of the pile and enjoys life around it. Yeah. Whereas Dante's a bit more uh, worried, concerned, stressed out about life. Um, but what what's actually the plot? What happens? Uh, well, this is the thing. There isn't really a plot to a certain extent. There's a so obviously halfway through the film, he he closes the shop so him and he can play the hockey game he wanted to play. But it is a series of nine different conversations or nine different events. They'll be in one scene. They'll be talking about uh, the Death Star and. They build another Death Star, right? Yeah. Now, the first one was completed and fully operational before the Rebels destroyed it. Luke blew it up. Give credit where credit's due. And the second one was still being built when they blew it up. Compliments of Lando Calrissian. Something just never sat right with me that second time around. I could never put my finger on it, but something just wasn't right. And you figured it out. The first Death Star was manned by the Imperial Army. The only people on board were the Stormtroopers, Dignitaries, Imperials. Basically. So when they blew it up, no problem. Evil's punished. And the second time around? The second time around, it wasn't even done being built yet. It was still under construction. So? So a construction job of that magnitude would require a hell of a lot more manpower than the Imperial Army had to offer. I bet they brought independent contractors in on that thing. Plumbers, aluminum siders, roofers. And not just Imperials. Is that what you're getting at? Exactly. In order to get it built quickly and quietly, they'd hire anybody that can do the job. Think the average stormtrooper knows how to install a toilet main? All they know is killing in white uniforms. All right, so they bring in independent contractors. Why are you so upset at its destruction? All those innocent contractors brought in to do the job were killed. Casualties of a war they had nothing to do with. So you mentioned there's nine chapters, would you say? Nine conversations? Yeah, and if it's not a conversation, then it's them uh, watching a weird customer picking out mm-hmm. the right milk that's got the the latest date on it or uh, testing yeah. the eggs. Absolutely. And as we were talking about it, we were saying that it's it's like they put together nine sort of philosophies and just sort of pulled them together and stitched them into a film. I think if it came out now, it'd almost serve as a YouTube channel with these little vignettes hmm. each week, you know. So much of the commentary is based on the despair and the dissatisfaction of society as well, I mm, think, mm. which is really interesting. Sort of embracing the weirdness. Yeah. It's funny you mentioned, so there's nine conversations, nine parts to it. And I was reading before we, we started that Kevin Smith wrote this while he worked at that very store. Really? And worked the same shift, 6 till 11 or whatever it was. Awful, awful, all-day shift. Um, and he he wrote this story based on Dante's Inferno. The story in which there's nine circles of hell. Wow. So what we're, what we're seeing is a man called Dante trapped in his own hell experiencing nine different circles, nine different events. Oh, wow. Now, I've worked in retail, and I can testify that it is absolute hell. (laughs) I did used to spend my time folding shirts, imagining that this was some sort of penance for the awful life I had lived before, somehow. So I can can chorus, I can absolutely agree with what's going on on screen. Um, But we've we've rattled on. But so what, what is the... What's the thrust of the piece? Um, well, I think it's kind of summed up by when Dante and Randall have a big bust up at the end. And it's actually the part of the film where all three of us watching kind of looked at our own lives and 
got a bit sad. Where Dante's moaning and grumbling about all the things that are wrong, how everything in his life is the fault of someone else. And then Randall points out that he didn't have to come into work today, he was only asked to. Mm. That he is the cause of his own problems. That all of his moaning is actually just him refusing to accept the fact that it's his fault that his life is this rubbish. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And it kind of made us think, oh, God, that is kind of true. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And this this is why I imagine a lot of sort of young people attach themselves, certainly of our age. It's probably been forgotten a bit now, I imagine. In fact, Mm. it's black and white puts people off, I think. In a way, anyway. Mm. But I think what it did for a generation of filmmakers is say, hey, you could make a film on your conversation you had this morning with your best mate. Films don't have to be epic and massive. They can just be two losers in a room. Definitely. And looking around, we're sort of sticking to that spirit of the piece. Life is imitating art currently. We are sat in a room talking to each other with a mic in between us. Hmm. Well done. <laughs> I, was, I was a bit happy until you brought that up. Oh, uh, well, at least there's people joining us this time. Hmm. Have you seen Clerks 2? I haven't seen Clerks 2. I will save that for another day, but hmm. a lot of people slate it. I think it's brilliant. It's a bit sillier. Okay. But the messages are still there, and it kind of travels. They're 10 years older, and they're having the same sort of problems, but it's viewed from the lens of guys who are still stuck in the same horrible situation they were before. So it's all so relevant for us. <laughs> yeah. Wow. yeah. Well, I never saw it because I heard it was a bit rubbish, but I'll, I'm willing to take your counsel and give it a go. Nice. No, it's, it's good. Oh, oh, hello, hello. Buenas noches, eh? Buenos noches. You have one message. Message one. Hey, Scream Bucket is Harrison Ford here. I... I just want to say I don't really want to do the the interview today. I I'm really tired. And I'm really ill, and I'm getting old, man. I'm getting old. And I know you wanted me to come and talk about Indiana Jones, but I've I've been talking about that my entire career. I just want to go to bed, stick on the television, watch some Big Brother, have a beer, just wait for this auto, you know, end. And I can just be buried in the ground. Anyway, yeah, I'm not doing the interview. You can even stick it up your ass. Alright. How do you turn this thing off? How do you turn this thing off? And that was Marion's theme from Raiders of the Lost Ark. Ooh, what a pretty tune. What a pretty tune. It's very Star Wars-y though, isn't it? So Star, it's uncannily like... Similar. Yeah. Well, John Williams, he only has a couple tunes. Yeah. Just a couple banging tunes. Just switches a few notes around and cracks on, doesn't he? <laughs> but yes, that was from Raiders of the Lost Ark, the first of the Indiana Jones quadrilogy. Uh, Indiana Jones in general, first of all, it, it, it's a massive film, isn't it? Something... Huge. I, I would... People might describe it as a cult classic these days, but it's not, is it? Oh, it's above and beyond, surely. Yeah, it's, it's huge. It's a family favorite yeah 
considering it's full of murder and Nazis and and extremely graphic. All, all of the films are like have moments of like extremely graphic wow. violence. It is. It's classic uh, Golden Age Spielberg, I'd say. Yeah. Yeah, so it's 1981. Harrison Ford, this is... It's not the start of his uh, his golden age, but it's very, very near the top. And Spielberg, of course, is known for his uh, his family favourites with a bit of an edge. Mm. A bit of kids swearing. Yeah, he slips in an S every now and again, doesn't he? Yeah, and, it's fa- and the story came about because George Lucas isn't big for the glitz and glam of the film world. Because he was at one time an indie filmmaker. Um, and he got away from all the hype of Star Wars. And that's where he met Steven Spielberg, where Spielberg uh, admitted that he always wanted to do a James Bond film. And Lucas said, ah, I've got an idea. And basically pitched this sort of 1930s uh, action hero, just like they used to do the old serials, the sort of same thing that inspired Star Wars. That's interesting because, in a way, wouldn't it have been awesome if Indiana Jones kept kind of being replaced by different actors and they just kept on making more That more would have films? been interesting, yeah. But Indy's definitely a James Bond-ish figure. Yeah. Heroic adventurer, meets all the women, Yeah, does his own thing. Fights the bad guys and evil geniuses. Even gets sent out by uh, CIA-suited yeah. government people. Yes, he does. In all of them? No, not the second one. No. But anyway, anyway. So, Raiders of the Lost Ark opens in 1936 in Peru, in the yes. jungle. Ooh. A hugely iconic scene where Indy enters a tomb with a tomb mm. of a... But before then, Spielberg has this amazing way of teasing characters. Oh, yes. And Indiana Jones is the is the prime example. It's something that we nicked for our uh, web series, that's comic, that will hopefully come out eventually, uh, where you sort of tease moments of the character. You tease their sort of bits and pieces without seeing them. Tells the story of what this person is about. Exactly. So uh, we see a sort of shape of a man with some uh, more, uh, what's the best word? Slovenly? Yeah. Sort of panicked, sort of locals, I I, I assume anyway, um, who are walking around scared around this jungle where they've got one figure who just keeps walking. And he's got a gun and he's got a whip and he's got a hat and he's got a leather jacket. And that's all we see until the moment... When so one of the people turns a gun on him, he, well, it was the intention of assassinating yes. him. And all we see is the gun comes out, he pulls back the, the thingy majigger, mm. and then um, you see Indiana Jones' head move, he's, he's heard, he's yes. heard the sound. whip a <laughs> Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, and he... And he steps into the light and we see it's Harrison Ford looking handsome and saucy. Dastardly... Looks sexy man, yes, and and that is like the ultimate opening of any introduction of any character, I would say. Yeah, I because suddenly anymore. we think, oh, we know this guy. He's awesome. He's cool. He's badass, and he's got a whip, and he can hear guns from twenty yards, and people want to kill him for some reason. So clearly, yeah. he's important. Yeah, yeah. So we now end up with uh, with one one guy. Yep. Who is... He was Dr. Octopus in Spider-Man 2. He was, he was. What was his name? Bloke. Yes, Alfred Molina. Molina? Is that right? Yeah. Molina. One or the other. Yeah, either way. Either way. Either way. So, um, what's Indy doing? So, he is after an artefact within a tomb. Hmm. An Um, idol. An idol. 
And there's all sorts of booby traps in these tombs, as will become a big staple within the franchise. But yes. Indy can always spot them before they happen. Whenever his uh, so-called friend tries to venture too far forward, Indy will stop him. Trigger the mechanism. Spikes will come out of the side of the wall with a dead body attached to him. He's also uh, remarkably calm when 15 million tarantulas land on him. Yeah. How do you feel as a non-spider lover? Uh, No. (laughs) No. Yeah? So... He just brushes them off, doesn't he? Whatever. Yeah, he just doesn't care. Just brushes them off. And eventually finds his way to the idle chamber. Yeah. So he grabs the idle slowly. He gets the bag of sand. He switches... He's put the bag of sand where the idol once was. Nothing's happened. He smiles. He turns and walks away. And then we see the stand slowly move down. Yes. And we know all hell is about to break loose. And suddenly this calm and collected guy suddenly just panics and runs. Yeah, he's off. The darts are shooting left and right. Um, The floor collapses. Hmm. Does the floor collapse or does the... I think where they originally swung over with the whip. Oh, yes. Then the other guy swings back. He takes the anyway. Yes, he right. He takes the after Indy's throwing him in the idol. idol. Yeah, throwing in the idol. Throw in the idol. Don't do it, Indy. Yeah. And uh, Indy throws in the idol, and he betrays him and runs away. And this is the first time of many where Indy becomes a not James Bond character. He oh, becomes yeah. a bit flappy. Yes, <laughs> and a bit like not. He isn't the top dog. Because he jumps, doesn't he? Because he doesn't have the whip to swing over the gap. He leaps and he grabs hold of some grass. And then the grass keeps coming. It's like, oh. There's two other bits in the film where he's where his like human, real, like realistic side comes. And one of them, which is probably my favourite bit in the whole film, hmm. is when he's climbing up the German bomber in the plane screen and uh, in the plane scene. Yes. And he turns around and there's this ginormous German bomber oh, just standing yeah. there. And he slides and this <laughs> We slides back down. It's like, all right, all right. (laughs) Anyway, we're getting ahead of ourselves. But yes, uh, we meet um, after the amazing escape scene where he famously gets chased by a boulder Mm. that rolls towards him. Um, He eventually is confronted by Belloc, a dodgy French man. Dr. Jones, fancy seeing you here. You know, that kind of thing. Played by Paul Freeman. Um, Who's his nemesis? He's yeah. another... He's like a rival in archaeology. He's yeah, kind of... he's a rival treasure hunter, definitely. Who's, who's befriended the local tribesmen, so there's a whole thing, and Indy has to run away. And that's the second time we see him flap, mm. when he gets in his escape plane, yeah. having bravely brushed off millions of tarantulas. He jumps right into the uh, seat with a snake on it. <laughs> and he, he freaks out. There's a snake! There's a snake! I hate snakes! Well, it's... It's what's amazing about it. What for me, anyway? What I love about it is he. Uh, if you hadn't seen all the stuff he's just done, he would look like a complete sop, you know. Yeah. At that moment, so you imagine that the pilot's like, ah, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yes, he is an archaeologist. He's also a, a history lecturer. Yes, history professor, and he's very much loved by the girl students. Mm. Famously, what. <clears throat> One of the students has written "Love you" on her. Yeah, which distracts him. As well. wow. <laughs> and then there's another little nerdy pupil who runs past and just leaves an apple on his desk. There's a really dorky, uh, awkward-looking guy. Just yeah. quietly puts an apple. Just on puts an apple and keeps him running. Yeah, he yeah. doesn't even acknowledge it. <laughs> Indy's met by Marcus. Yes, the curator of the museum. Yes. Uh, who says that the CIA are waiting for Indy? Mm, they want a word. Ooh. So 
this is where the year becomes important. Yeah. Because uh, the Nazis are around. Mm. The Germans are starting to sort of be a bit dodgy. The war hasn't started yet. But people are wary, aren't mm. they? And the CIA are wary as well. Hitler's on some sort of mission to acquire all the relics. This religious and arty, Yeah, they, they express their awareness that Hitler is obsessed with the occult, which mm. in fact he was. Mm. Yes. Um, which is another great thing about Indiana Jones. It's always kind of inspired, you know, with a bit of truth. Yes. Um, and they decipher that they are in fact looking for the Ark of the Covenant. Yeah. Which carries the, um, what's it, the, the Ten Commandments. And uh, it's somewhere in Egypt. Yeah. So they need to go and get it. So they want Indy to go and get it. But And he knows someone who has something that will point him in the right direction, conveniently. Yes. His, uh, yes. Professor Ravenwood, who's actually died, but his daughter is very much alive and living in Nepal. Nepal. Who happens to be Indy's ex. Yeah. Yeah. Bit convenient. I see that. <laughs> so off Indy goes to uh, to Nepal and finds Marion in her bar. She runs a bar. She runs a bar. She gets absolutely hammered with the locals every she's, other night. Well, she's play- she, she's shown to be playing a drinking game. Yes. Where she beats the other guy just because she can drink so much. Mm. So much vodka, presumably. Uh, knocking the local out. Mm. That's interesting. That's something to remember. Yeah. Um. She's then confronted by... The Nazis. Yeah, the Nazis, the bad guys. Including uh, the Gestapo. Who The Gestapo agent, he doesn't actually have a name. No. I think he has a credit. It's Tot. 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 Right. Tot. Odd name for a Nazi. Major Tot. Yeah. Um, who is this creepy, sinister-looking man? Very sinister. Looks an awful look like someone went to college with, as you used to tell him, to his face. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Sorry, Fancy. <sighs> That's right. We weren't calling him a Gestapo agent. We were calling him an elephant. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, but yeah, uh, Q, Indiana, well, Indiana, he had previously gone in to say hello. Oh, and yes, yes, She right. said, sells, send him to come back tomorrow. Mm-hmm. He comes back in the middle of the start of one of the best bar fights in film history. One of the best. I think it might be the best. Yeah, it's it, awesome. It has everything. It's really, really great fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just a massive bar fight. Ends up with the place burning down and Marion's got nothing else to do but go with Indy. I mean, you have guns. You have people being smashed on the head with whiskey bottles. You have a yeah. fire that goes across the bar whilst Indy's head has been held up against it. Oh, and Tot picks up the relic, doesn't he? Yeah. Which is burning yeah. hot and yeah. scorches the thing into his hand. That's awesome. Do you only think when you watch that scene, drop it. Yeah. Drop it. <laughs> yeah. Or use your glove. Yeah, one uh, or the other. Yeah. Um, and off they go on an adventure. Marion and Indy then shoot off to Egypt. Yeah, and the iconic sort of... Uh, faded map mm. of the plane journeying across the world straight out of sort of 1920s 1930s tv yes uh, it's awesome yeah so they land in egypt we were uh, introduced to john reese davis of gimli fame his character Salah. yeah who is one of the most joyous characters that again is very james bondy to meet yes. a local who's a bit fun yeah bit of fun absolutely yeah and off they go they start digging up the uh they managed to Oh, there's a whole Cairo bit. There's so much to talk about. Because uh, Marion gets kidnapped, yeah. presumed dead. They they accept that she's dead and they continue looking for the Covenant anyway. 
for the Ark of the Covenant. It's got so much going on. There's your best bit, your best scene also happens during that chase. There's a big chase scene which uh, Indy's fighting off people with a whip. Indy's, you know, Marion's being put into like a basket, and then there's like a scene where there's a crowd of people all holding the same basket, and Indy has to tip every basket out to see if Marion's in there. But then there's one bit where he's walking through the crowd, and the crowd forms a gangway. And at the other side of the crowd is this uh, sword-wielding, scimitar-wielding, like, badass warrior. Yes. He looks like, you know, this guy's unstoppable. How's Indy gonna, how's Indy gonna kill him? Yep. Indy just pulls his gun out and shoots him. It's very <laughs> funny. But uh, famously, the reason that that happened, there was already choreographed, like, this massive scene whip where... Whip versus sword. Whip versus yeah, sword. Yeah, yeah. It would have probably been awesome. But then everyone got very, very ill on set. And what was Spielberg? Spielberg was the only one who so, got ill. So yeah, everyone got ill, but apart from Spielberg, who only ate his own home-brought uh, spaghetti hoops or something like that. Brilliant. Yeah, that's a good idea. Good top, top tip. Yeah, top travel top tip, tip. Top tip. So they swapped it out, and uh, the, life, the scene has probably benefited as a result. I think it's, it's the best, and it's character building as well. Yeah, so it's great. He doesn't really care. Yeah, he He's, doesn't want to fight him. I mean, Harrison Ford is a bit typecast. He is basically Han Solo. Yeah. Just trust your blaster, kid. Mm. Mm. But yes, um, there's too much. It's hard to just talk just the plot because there is so much to talk about. There is. So we much haven't even mentioned the monkey. Oh, the monkey that gets poisoned. Bad and, dates. Yeah, it's an untrustworthy monkey. Yes, I mean Indiana Jones is a character because I mentioned the Nazi, um, the big Nazi had to fight, and he really doesn't want to fight him. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, there's other moments where. Marion's like dabbing at his boo boos. Oh his yes, sword. He's like, it hurts. Well, well, yeah. And she, uh, they're on the boat, aren't they? And she flips. That she's got like one of those flippy mirrors. Oh yeah. She flips it around and smacks him in the face after he's just been through this massive fight, and he like, screams. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's so funny. It's, yeah, and he's trying to take his shirt off, and yeah, mm. he's like a human Bond. Maybe is that a good yeah. way to describe it? Yeah, definitely. That's the thing. <coughs> There's been four films now. Indiana Jones, all similar sort of stuff, I guess. There's also the series as well, the young Indiana Jones. I really enjoyed that, actually. Um, me too. But what one thing that's consistent throughout is I don't. I just want to watch Indy. Yeah. I just want to watch Indiana Jones, the man. Mm. You know, that's that's why I think this has over almost everything else, especially the imitators. Yeah, it, you just want to know what he does next. Mm. And I think as well, I mean. Uh, nowadays, Chris Pratt would probably be the most realistic James Bond. Bleh. But I'm not sure about that. I wouldn't want him to be Bonds, uh, to be uh, Indiana Jones. I wouldn't have wanted Shia LaBeouf to be the new Bond. Uh, Indiana Jones. Um, I just, I would only be comfortable ever watching Harrison Ford as him. I think there is something about him. There's something. Ford's got the, Harrison Ford's got this like, I don't want to be here face. Yes. In almost everything he's done, and it's always like, yeah, this is great. Because mm. Indy, though he does get enthusiastic, he also doesn't want to do all the stuff that gets him into the trouble. No. You know? So, yes, when he spots the Nazi. Um, also, there's a bit when he's chasing down the truck with the Ark of the Covenants being taken oh, by the Nazis. Yes. And he's just like one at a time, like punching, kicking, getting people through. So, there's a bit where he's crawling under the truck. Because yeah. he falls, gets pushed off it, and he, has to, he crawls up to the front. He's trying to pull himself up the grate, and all the things are bending away. I've seen someone put that to the Terminator Two soundtrack, and it's 
pretty awesome. Really, <laughs> he doesn't give up when right. he's uh, when he's cornered. He doesn't give up because, of course, yes, he he ends up running into Belloc, who's now teamed up with the Nazis to find the Ark. And um, there's one line. They are the Nazis. There's one problem I have with the film. The Nazis never do anything wrong. Not really. We know they're evil because they're Nazis. But the film doesn't tell us that. And I feel like they should have shown more. And in fact, there's an argument to say that they fought the same thing because they added one line in. What's that? So they've taken the Ark of the Covenant. They're going to test it before sending it to Hitler. And one of the German officers says, along the lines, I feel uncomfortable with this Jewish magic. Yeah, just throwing it in there. And you're like, oh yeah! They're Nazis. (laughs) They're stinking Nazis. One thing we absolutely have to mention is the cinematography, the scenery, the mise-en-scene. It is a beautiful, beautiful film. It really, really is. The set pieces are amazing. Egyptian feasters. I mean, that's got to be like, so much of it must have been shot on location in Cairo, I assume, um, or in a similar city. Uh, I have a feeling most of it's in Tunisia. Yeah, it's just beautiful. And the um the, the tomb bits are awesome as well. Yeah. When they go into the um where the Ark is. Valley of Well of the Souls. Well of the Souls, yeah. And there's those massive like statues glaring, growling up at the hatch. Oh there's like Anubis is there, isn't it? Yeah. And, uh, they're awesome. Yeah. And the snakes. So in this pit, as we've already identified, Indy's um scared of snakes. And he has to confront them. He's forced to confront them by dropping in to a massive room of snakes and then there's the most Most of them are real as well yeah there's the most noticeable sort of uh prop work as well when you see that cobra there you can see the sheet of glass oh yes yes so so visible but you couldn't hardly have harrison ford face off of a real cobra actually spat as well you can see it dropping down the really yeah 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 oh there's one bit i want to point out as well um marion who is on the surface the bond girl She's yeah. just there. Uh, she's got her own stuff going on, really, which is really, really awesome in, in this film. So we we first established that she, uh, she's very good at drinking. She's very good at drinking. So when she, she gets kidnapped and she's in Belloc's custody, yeah. and she notices some alcohol. So she challenges him to a drinking contest to try and beat him so she can escape. Very yeah. clever. We, we are aware of it as the audience because it's all very well signposted. Uh, it being directed by Steven Spielberg. And they're drinking and they're drinking and they're drinking and she realises she's getting drunk quicker than he is. <laughs> this is stuff, Renee. <laughs> I grew up with this. <laughs> it's my family label. <laughs> <laughs> so just that little moment. It's one of my favourite moments in the whole film. Smart, isn't it? Yeah, it is smart. But, of course, this isn't the end for Indiana Jones. There is... Four, uh, there's three good ones and there's a fourth one. Yes, which we won't go into today. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they also were working on a fifth one. Really? I wasn't aware about it. I only saw it when I was looking up uh, notes for this. 2021, Indiana Jones 5 with Harrison Ford. Well, is there going to be like any, is there going to be any good talent working on it? I have no idea, but I'm sure there'll be top men. What top men? Top men.
Apollo Dell Media's Screen Bucket with Adam and Rob. And that was Mama Told Me Not To Come by Free Dog Knight. Not Tom Jones, Rob. No, I thought it was Tom Jones. No. I just assumed. My brain told me. Three Dog Night from the soundtrack of Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Ooh. So why did you choose this film, Rob? Um, it's always, well, since I, I must have watched it about a decade ago, but since then it's had a place in my heart for, I don't know why, because it's funny, but it's also traumatic. It's also completely bizarre. Mm. It is quite literally a trip to watch. It, um, <laughs> yeah. It catches the senses, that's for sure. But yeah, um, it's also because it sort of it comes from, well, the author of the book is Hunter S. Thompson, who is one of my favourite writers. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Thompson was an American journalist and author, and he was founder of the Gonzo Journalism Movement. Gonzo Journalism is a style that is written without claims of objectivity, often including the reporter as part of the story via a first-person narrative, which is kind of integral to Hunter S. Thompson's writing style. Familiar to anyone who knows um, John Ronson, who gets involved to the point where he actually tracked down the Illuminati of Alex Jones. Fun wow. fact. Brilliant. Yeah, he's a hugely charismatic and controversial character, and he, you know, he took a, a massive amount of drugs, often, all the way up until his death, I believe. Um, he had an amazing writing style, and his stances on American political movements were quite well known. Um, he was a big critic of Nixon. Uh, yeah, he lived to the age of 67. In 2005, he shot himself in the head, and I think he always planned to do that. He never wanted to be old. I think he sort of his philosophy was when his time was up, it was up. But yeah, right, okay. so very, very interesting character. <clears throat> yes, and he he done wrote a book, didn't he? He did done wrote a book, which is in essence a true story of his uh, real experiences. In the book, he's called Raoul Duke, and he has a friend, doesn't he, who is based on uh, Hunter S. Thompson's real life attorney, Oscar Zeta Acosta who obviously accompanied him on this ridiculous journey. So where does the film open, Adam? Well, it opens in the Nevada desert, driving along. You've got a... Uh, I'm just going to call him Duke, because Raul is to too say. much of a mouthful. Uh, Duke and Donzo, they're speeding along in their red convertible car. Yep. In back country. Because they can't stop here. Yes, they uh, so they're already tripping. They're already having a whale of a time. Um, yeah, and yeah, so we're gonna have to tread <laughs> carefully with this one. But we are, yes. They're ba- they're under the influence of some stuff, and um, they run into a hitchhiker. They do. They run into a hitchhiker familiar to, with a familiar looking face, doesn't he? And when they pick up the hitchhiker, it sort of signals the start of the journey, yes. because through him. We hear what they're planning to do. They explain to the hitchhiker in full detail that they're on the way to Vegas. Yes, to go to the Mint 400, a motorcycle race in the middle of the desert. They want to give it full coverage. They are hired by some unknown, unimportant uh, sort of news article agency. Yes. Um, it's completely irrelevant. All you need to care about is they are off on this journey. What? I don't want to pierce into the logic too much. Why would he bring his lawyer? Is it because he can? I guess, I guess. Because if you're a if you're a journalist, surely all you need is your identification, and you're going to get into your hotel room, you're going to get into your racing event, you're going to get into whatever event you're made for. I guess maybe he just doesn't want to go alone. 
That makes sense, doesn't it? Because the only... I hadn't thought about that before. The only advice that um, Dr. Gonzo ever gives him, he starts off with, as your attorney, I advise you to... Yes. Insert, buy a gun, buy X amount of drugs, (laughs) buy a large convertible. It's funny, we've talked about uh, Big Lebowski before, and he's a very similar role to John Goodman. Oh, how so? In that he's just a sort of voice of anarchy. He is. He's not helping, but he's always there to give advice when needed, I guess. Exactly, yeah. Um, yeah, so the hitchhiker quickly legs it when he realises that this is not going to be a fun or safe trip. No. Um, and we follow Duke and Gonzo on their on their journey. Uh, so, yes, the hitchhiker legs it off, and we followed the journey all the way to Vegas. Hmm. Where, just before we get to Vegas, so they've got half an hour about to go, and they need to dose up on whatever they need to dose up on oh yes and they do and then they get to vegas and it all starts to kick in when duke and gonzo are trying to check into their first hotel and this is where the gilliam truly starts (laughs) oh yeah oh we haven't even mentioned that so this film is directed by terry gilliam Oh yeah, off of the Monty Python, uh, and you can you can tell. Yes, very so much. he filled the boots of um, it's Martin Scorsese, and then someone else, wasn't it? Yes, there were a few people who wanted to do this, but it fell to Gilliam, who rewrote the script over a weekend to match make the film match his style. I think he did it in four days. Is it four it? days? Yeah, and it's hard to think of a time when it, he wasn't involved. No. It's so, it lives and breathes his style. Absolutely. Um, Johnny Depp, incidentally, is playing a role very familiar to anyone who's seen Ed Wood. He has that, uh, certainly early on anyway, he's got the curt, crisp voice. Right. This is bad country. Mm. It's got. It's very 1950s almost. It's like he's leaning us into this adventure film. Oh yeah, and then later on, it yeah, it, it boils down and breaks down a bit. It becomes a kind of irony, doesn't it? When it gets more and more depraved, but you've still got this crisp, smart, old-fashioned voice. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, totally, yeah. That because Johnny Depp prepared for this film by following Hunter S. Thompson around. Mm. He even wears his clothes, his real clothes, in the film and the red convertible. Yes, amazing, it's all genuine stuff. Amazing detail. Um. So yeah, he lived and breathed this role, and so you do get that old worldy thing. Gonzo. Well, I know Benicio del Toro spent three months eating donuts, didn't he? He gained yeah, forty yeah. pounds for the role. He very much researched the man himself. Who, if you, this isn't any spoiler to the film, but one day he walked onto a boat and nobody ever saw him again. He was a larger than life character in real life, right, apparently okay. not exaggerated in any way, shape, or form, which is. Probably detriment to... I mean, that's quite disturbing. Yeah. Uh, well, that's the thing. It's not worth us breaking down the plot in too much detail because, generally speaking, the plot is two men go on a bender. Yeah. Where it becomes interesting are these short bursts of weirdness that happen. Absolutely. So, relatively early on, they go to the circus. Before they get to the circus... And the hotel room turns into the goddamn reptile house. <laughs> oh, man. Where are the golf shoes? <laughs> it's just absurdity. It really, really is. The The level of detail into the madness. So Terry Gilliam's always been good at dreaming nightmare sequences. Mm. Um, Time Bandits, in particular, has a very spooky set of things. 
And that dives in here quite a lot. The chameleons, the guana things, just everywhere. You just see a tongue suddenly coming out and smashing into a cocktail glass. And as he turns up, he's just surrounded by these horrible lizards. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he When they do get to the race that they're supposed to be covering, Duke becomes lost in the sand as if he's at war. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. That's brilliant. But before that, when he's in the hotel room and then the photographer comes to meet him, he's watching a Vietnam film on the TV yes, and yes. he looks up and the guy's dressed in full army music, like uniform saying, Panzangers! Kazaa! <laughs> you know, just yelling. Well, and he sees the TV blur out into reality and he doesn't know where the TV ends. He's trying to move it around. Oh. Yeah, it's... Um, that's the thing. As you pointed out earlier, uh, before recording, they never seem to have that good a time whatever they're doing they always seem to be having some sort of nightmare yeah awful awful time (laughs) yeah um again made up the imagery of uh terry gilliam and stuff so like when they're in this circus they've got massive murals of screaming clowns either side Uh, yeah and you're like oh Um, it's all a bit bizarre they also have the the trapeze act, which is about a baby being born and having its umbilical cord cut. <laughs> That's so good. And then he gets to the next bit and they've got a bloody wolverine or a, giant, a wild <laughs> yeah. dog or something, which they're just swinging around. I love that. I really love that. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Um, but things start to go wrong when Gonzo starts to twist and turn a bit. Mm. Um, it starts off where it's almost comedy scene. It feels a bit train spotting at this point but he realizes that gonzo's gone too far and he's starting to react negatively yeah uh and duke starts to fear for his life in fact he does what does he say you can turn your back on a man but you can never turn your back on a drug Mm, yeah 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 so it's definitely specifically dr gonzo being on these things which is a problem because he's pulling knives on people he's pulling guns on people he's threatening people in lifts yes yeah well that's the bit and but at this point i was saying earlier that it's at this point he didn't feel like a villain he just felt like the foil he felt like the complication but what's at one point they separate and duke finds him again and at that point he's gone bad yes he's gone to the dark side Yes, he's gone way too far. He's gone beyond the spectrum of okay, that's um, that's just crazy, man. He's gone into that's wrong. Um, yes, and Duke doesn't react too negatively at first. He just tries to get through it and get to the next point and carry on. Yeah, but then it then it's too far, mm. uh, and we're running out of time now. So there's so much to talk about with this film. One thing that's definitely worth mentioning is the the political kind of. It's, it's very much under the microscope of the classes of America. And because you see all these lonely souls in these places like casinos and hotel lobbies and stuff, just staring into their mm-hmm. glasses or speaking to a prostitute or whatever. Yeah, there's constant political raving. At one moment he says, Bazooko Circus is what the whole world would be doing on a Saturday night if the Nazis had won the war. Yes. Which I thought was brilliant. But he also says he's looking around this casino full of you know, dead-end people, and he says, who are these people, these faces? They look like characters of used car salesmen from Dallas, still humping the American dream, which kind of paints a picture that he is the weirdo, and Dr. Gonzo is the weirdo, and it kind of creates an element of two sides. On the extreme of one side, you've got the policeman, when he goes into the convention, and you have all the police at the anti-drugs sort of convention, where you've got a stupid scientist talking about 
like really wrong facts about drugs. Mm-hmm. And then on the right hand side, <laughs> you know, there's a moment when Johnny Depp looks at the camera during that that made me laugh out loud. Yeah, oh, it's brilliant. <laughs> it's brilliant. He just looks. Mm. <laughs> no, I don't think this is true. They call it a roach because it looks like a yeah. cockroach. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, but then on the flip side of that, you've got. When he has a flashback to the 60s, and in the scene, actually, Hunter S. Thompson has a guest appearance, where he goes into the bathroom, and for whatever reason, which I won't go into, flee from the Red Hot Chili Peppers starts, <laughs> comes out of a bathroom and starts licking his, his the end of his jacket. The best bit about that is the is the bit after that, which, again, made me laugh out loud. What? The guy walks in, doesn't he? Yeah, that's, that's what happening. I mean. Yeah. The guy walks in, and then, then they're saying... We've ruined his life. He's going to spend the rest of his life thinking that if he walks into a bathroom again, he'll find someone... Doing that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, but he's, he didn't just say, he said, with any luck, his life was ruined. Right, right, right. Which is beautiful. And that kind of pinpoints the two sides. You've got this blind kind of money, anti-sort of weirdness side of clean-cut people who just want to go to their hotel and get the room that they paid for without the receptionist shouting at oh, them. Did you spot who that was? The, the receptionist? Yes. That was weird. I know, right? Chris Maloney, who now is best known as playing mad, mental, hard nut characters, yeah. is playing a very effeminate sort of hotel receptionist. Hotel receptionist. Yeah. And it's the it's chalk and cheese. It's so... It's, it's insane. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I take it you'll recommend Fear I, and Loathing. Yeah, it's an absolute classic, an absolute cult classic. It's I would argue that it's actually a masterpiece from a certain point of view. And I would heavily, 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 heavily recommend it. I agree. I would hasten to add that it is certainly not for everyone to the extent that 50% of people will hate it. <sighs> right, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't put it that high up, I'll be honest. It is it is fun and it is quirky and it is insane. It is a, I would say it's like a nightmare, to be honest, more than anything else. Um. It's also, not only is it quite funny and quirky and strange and adventurous, it's got one of the darkest, most tense scenes, Oh God! certainly yeah. that Terry Gilliam's ever done. Yes. Um, and it's quite, it's almost sickening how grim it is, actually. Um, it leaves you with a bad taste in your mouth. It really does. So for that factor, it, it does have everything there. Does it work for me? I'm not sure. It is good, though, and I would recommend it, but I wouldn't put it. In the Hall of Fame, as it were. But there we go. Tis, tis in my Hall of Fame. I give it a tick. Well, tisn't in mine. Well, tis off. Well, tis to you, sir. Tis you too. Tis to you, sir. Screen bucket on no part FM. Beep boop. You have one message. Message one. Oh, hello, hello, hello. Scott Farley here. Hello, Adam Rumbop. I just wondering, I'm going to film in Rivers too. I'm going to film in Bush too. We're going to film it in Bruges, in Belgium. Again, we're going to go over there in about a month. And we're going to film the whole thing in two days. It's going to be brilliant. Um, I've drank five cups of coffee. I don't really know what's going on. And we're going to get the director, I can't remember the director's name, but it doesn't matter. We're going to get Brendan Gleeson back in. We'll do like a prequel. We'll do flashbacks. We'll have Ralph Fiennes. Ralph Fiennes is a very good actor. And then afterwards, we'll go and we'll sit down, we'll have some pea soup. We'll have some pea soup in a Belgian pub. And then we'll celebrate. And then, you know, you have to come back. And then we're going to go over to Ireland. And we're going to watch all the best musical Irish people ever. And we're going to watch Bob Geldof. We're going to watch U2. We're going to watch Bewitched. We're going to watch The Chorus. We're going to watch them all. We're going to watch Ash. And then we're going to drink a lot of Guinness. And we're going to get drunk and we're going to have a good time. And it's going to be brilliant. And I love you. I love you very much. I'm going to have a cup of coffee. I'm going to have a nice city.
No need to write this film. I need to have him shy. I haven't slept for 25 days now. And I just know, I know that I can make a really good film if I go over to Belgium and, and do it with you. I really trust you. I love you. I love you both. Adam and Rob. Take it easy. Have a good one. Good day. Good day. Good day. Good day. Good day. Bye. Bye. Might be able to hear my I papers. always get worried when you get paper out. Something to do with my, uh, my office day job has made me uh, overly... Obsessive printer and uh, oh, too many fire. lists, too many papers, man. It's all uh, good. It's all good. So what I've done is I've printed out. Uh, I've got a list of genres first. Nice. Um, I've then got uh, about a page and a bit of locations. Beautiful. And then uh, another page and a half of characters. So what I was thinking was, if we choose a genre, choose a location, and then maybe choose two characters. Yeah, sounds good to me. Um, and then we can uh, put together our own little improvised story. What a wonderful idea. Yes, indeed. So uh, what I'll do, I'll wave my finger about um, and you can tell me when to stop. Cool. So don't look and I'll start waggling it about. Ooh. Stop. Action. Nice. Right, and again. Stop. Church. Nice. Get rid of that. Hold that. Okay, two characters now. Tell me when. Stop. Uh, rude person. Okay. <laughs> and again. Stop. And a navy officer. Cool. Hmm. <laughs> okay. Oh, well, there's territory we can go here that could get us in a lot of trouble. I think we're fine. All right. So we've got a rude person and a navy officer. We've got the genre. So Action. action. Uh, protagonist. So we need one of those people need to be the protagonist. I'm picturing already that the navy officer is the protagonist. Are you? Yeah. My instinct was the rude person. Really? I think it's the Kirby enthusiasm thing. Oh, really? Uh, hmm. Well, I'm thinking of like speed, for example, when Keanu Reeves is trying to do his thing, for example. Yes, you're right. And yeah. imagine if Sandra Bullock's just really, really rude. That's true. Okay. No, I agree. Okay, so Navy officer, protagonist. Hmm. What's his goal? No, th- yeah, we haven't got too much to go off this one. He's getting married. He's in church. He's getting married. Yeah. Okay. An, <laughs> okay, an action movie where guys get married um, and something stops him. So the obstacle could just be the rude person. What do you reckon? His wife is kidnapped. Okay. It's an action film. We're going to have to up the up the stakes. Yes, true. Wife gets kidnapped. She's well, she doesn't turn up. Hmm. She gets, she's been kidnapped. And the only way he can save her is with the help of an extremely rude <laughs> taxi driver. Okay. All right. I like it. So what's the what's the final point? So um, that's the obstacle. Is well, there's two there. It's the it's the kidnapping and the and the rude person in the taxi. Uh, so the overall theme. What do you reckon? Well, you're thinking about two people in a car, and I think of planes, trains, and automobiles. So it's yep. two people who hate each other at the start and end up liking each other by the end. This is buddy cop mm. territory we're talking about. Yeah. Okay, so the theme then is uh, uh, bros before brides. Bros before brides. Uh, you got to get along sometimes, even if someone's... Even the rudest of us can be heroes. That's the tagline. Everyone's got their their stuff to deal with. Okay. Yeah. And All you, right. And sometimes people are rude because their life sucks. And maybe you should see that before you judge. 
Okay, well that's something to bear in mind as we move swiftly into our improv. I'm starting to get rather worried, um, Mr... Mr... Mr. David Stock. David Stock, yes. Um, we're just kind of worried that your bride hasn't turned up yet. I know, she was meant to be here 15 minutes ago. I'm starting to get a little bit worried. Yes, I would be too. Um, especially since if she's not here within the next 20 minutes, we're, we're going to have to move you off today's booking. Oh, goodness me. Let me have a word with the groomsman quickly. Larry? Larry? Yes? Have you... Where's... Where is my wife to be? I don't know where the wife is. Can you call her family and see if they have any idea? I will try. Thanks, Larry. Why did I make him my best man? Oh, goodness gracious. Oh, my. Something's just flown through the stained glass window. What could that be? It looks a bit like a brick with a note attached to it. Oh, this has never happened before. You Navy officers having your weddings here, I knew it would be dangerous. Well, you know what we're like. Anyway. What does it say? Uh, oh my goodness. What, what does it say, my child? We have your wife. You have ten minutes to get us a hundred thousand smackaroos. Meet us outside the croquet stadium. Or she dies. Oh my, well you, you better run off, but no. don't forget, if you're not back in 20 minutes, then your wedding day will have to be postponed. Oh goodness gracious me, my wife might die and our wedding may be postponed. This isn't how I planned this day at all. Terry? Terry, I just tried to find, phone the wife and, and she didn't pick up. Shut up, Larry. You're no longer the best man. Oh. You know what I need to do? I need to go outside and get a taxi, and maybe they can drive me to the croquet stadium. Yes, good idea, my child. I will I will play some music to distract everyone. Okay, right. Um, sorry, I'll be right back, um, guests. This is quite unprepared why won't these taxis stop for me? I'm wearing a suit, for goodness sake. Can't they see I'm a respected man? Can't they see my medals? Stop, taxi. Stop. Oh, thank goodness. What do you want? Different <laughs> <laughs> voice. Okay, rude man. Uh. <sighs> what do you want? Oh, I, I need you to drive me to the Croquet Stadium. Oh, the Croquet Stadium. Yeah, you know, the one, the multi-billion dollar stadium that hasn't been finished built yet. Oh, oh. You think I'm stupid, don't you? Oh, no, not at all, Just because I'm driving a taxi. No, no. But I, I don't want to stop. I honestly didn't mean that. It's actually very important. Oh, of course it's important. Big man in a suit. No, you see, I'm, a- I'm actually trying to save my wife. If we don't get to the Croquet Stadium in ten minutes' time, they're going to kill her. Oh, he's got a wife now, has he? Yeah. Oh, don't you? No, actually. Oh, I'm very sorry. Would it-, would it be okay if I got in? <sighs> yes. Thank you. Okay. Um, do you mind if you pick up the pace a bit? She will die. You think I can't drive? No, no, I didn't mean that at all, do sir. You think I can't drive? 
Well, obviously you can drive. You're driving right now. Oh, now we get sarcastic. No, 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 no. I didn't mean it like that. I'm just under a lot of pressure at the moment. Oh, well, we've all got pressure. My wife is about to be killed on my wedding day. Well, I suppose I better go a bit faster then. Yes, please. What's wrong with this guy? You know what's wrong with me. What? People like you. What? People who have missions in life. Missions? My wife-to-be is going to be murdered! Yes, well. What do you mean, well? Well, some of us just have to get away with having a normal day job. Well, that's your fault. Maybe you should have paid more attention in school. Oh, well, here it comes out the truth. Well, I'm sorry. You look down your nose at us, don't you? I'm just getting quite fed up. All I want to do is save my woman. (sighs) Well, good for you. Would you just drive? Maybe it's better if we don't speak. Maybe it's... that is better. You don't mind if I've got a radio on, do you? No, no, not at all. Hang on, I'm getting a phone call. (laughs) Oh. Hello, who's this? What? You're the terrorist? You've got my wife? And you say, if we don't get there before the test game begins, she's going to be hurled off the roof and impaled on a croquet set? And then they're going to hit her in the head with those silly little hammers. Oh my god! Oh my god! Do you hear that? You must step on it now! Alright, but this is going to cost you double. That's fine. Just get me to my wife, damn it! Good job we're at the Croquet Stadium now. Yeah, well... Have you got another comment, have you? (sighs) No. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Wind the window down. Someone's pulling up next to us. Uh. Oh, hello, hello. Um, I'll, I can get your money if you can just show me that my wife, my wife-to-be is okay. What, what, what do you mean? No, he's just a taxi driver. No one told me to come alone in the notes. No, don't you drive away. Don't you drive away. You... Don't think they like listening to you, mate. Oh, shut up. Drive, drive, drive after them, after them, after them. So, I've gone from Rick Mail to... Yeah. Stay with Rick Mail. Alright. <clears throat> well, they're getting away again. Look, there they go. Well, can you at least drive after them, please? Oh, I suppose so. It's my wife's life on the line, sir. Alright. Go. Alright, but... Go! Is this better? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Oh my god, we're darting through traffic at an alarming speed. <laughs> Oh, goodness me! Oh, well, I can't believe it. Look, they're spinning in front of that old lady. Look, she just got spun off the road. Oh, wow. Be careful, you almost hit her. Oh, well, she didn't deserve it anyway. Oh, goodness me. You are very rude. Yes, yes, I am. Oh, why? What's happened in your life that makes you so nasty to everybody? There was a day when everything fell through for me. I, I just... 
I woke up one day and I was happy and I had a wife and, and a dog and, and a car and all of it disappeared. Now I feel bad for you and I feel like we're forming some sort of unexpected friendship. It was run over by a navy destroyer. <sighs> I think that might have been me. What? I'm sorry. I didn't see you guys. We were we were practicing. I was going to get my medal. No time for this now. Hold on. <laughs> It's really bad, isn't it? <laughs> uh, alright. We're, we're coming up to them now. Oh, right. Okay. With his stupid blue car. Drive into him, quickly. Right, I'm going into him. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Right, I'm getting out of the car. I'm going to wrestle the guy down. Oh, look at him go. Go on. Hero. Where's my wife? Where's my wife? Where's my wife? You blockhead. You weasel. You slapdoodle. You stick of dove deodorant. I'll get you. Give me my wife back. Butterflannel! Uh, your green chair leg! I'll get you! Your packet of silica gel! Yeah, oh, I'm sorry! Your wife's in the boot! Stock. My husband will be. Oh, it all worked out well for you. Oh, I've done that. Oh. Same voice. Oh, it all works out for you, doesn't it? Oh, I love you, strawberry <sighs> paracetamol. You're my favourite girl. I love you so hey, much. Don't forget about me. Who are you? Who are you? <laughs> I was also held hostage in here. <gasps> Richard. What? Who's Richard? It's my wife. Oh, you're Richard, the taxi driver. <laughs> what a turn of events! I, I thought you'd been lost to me. No. <laughs> I was here all along. <laughs> oh. Oh, uh, come here, love munching. Oh. Are you not rude anymore? Have you seen the error of your ways? Is life better now that you're all happy? I will be less rude. But you, I've noticed, are more rude. Why? You, the words you used to the terrorist. What did I say? I was proud of you. Oh. Maybe together we can be like one person. What the hell are you going on about? We can be friends now. No, you know what? I don't actually want to be your friend. Oh, now who's the rude person? Exactly. Yeah, you go off with your stupid water tramp. <laughs> <laughs> That was, that was a high five moment. I know. A freeze frame high five moment. I thought I'd throw a spanner in the works. <laughs> okay, well, that was a story. Yeah. <laughs> uh... <laughs> that was a rude person and a Navy officer saving a wife. So, 
this is a technique that works, but if you force it, then you get that. I think I think this proves that you can weave a story together, but be prepared for the first draft not to be very good. Screen bucket on no part FM. People. Oh, what a trip down memory lane that was. Yeah. Flipping hell. Yes. Yes. My wife. Uh, Your uh, wife. Yeah. <laughs> Not sure about that. How do you feel about listening back to your old... It makes, it makes me re- remember why we stopped doing improv. Oh, shush. It's great. It's so bad. It's great. Yeah. No one else does improv on this radio station. Well, now we know why. <laughs> oh, it gets better. It... As listeners shall hear next time. When I carry on the crusade <laughs> and try and bring improv back. God, 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 God. <laughs> what have we done? As you know, I felt good that they were so far in the past. And now you've like sort of made it so they're close again. Yeah. We'll never let anyone forget <laughs> the story of the rude man and the Navy officer. Well, that's a Jane Eyre novel, wasn't it? Was it? Yeah. Uh. Uh. Anyway. <laughs> so, okay, well, that's the end of the show. Hope you enjoyed listening to our best bit compilation. Yes, thank you very much for listening. Do we have any new things to talk about as a sign-off? Uh, I have tinnitus now. Oh, no. Yeah. Right now? Uh, yeah, it's throbbing a bit in my left ear now. Uh, why? So that's for life. Two weeks ago, I was in bed and I thought there was a UFO outside. And I was like, wow, what's going on outside? Like, it was a vroom, vroom, vroom. And I was like, oh my God, I need to go to the window and see what it is. It took me five minutes to realise the noise was coming from my ear. So for the rest of the night, I was thinking, I don't have tinnitus, do I? Because that was meant to be a whistling or something. Oh, I thought it was, uh, yeah, like static. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then I Googled it the next day when it hadn't gone and then it can come in all sorts of shapes and sizes and I got the buzzing one and it's not gone. I can't. So it's for life. I'm going to go mental. I'm not jealous of that at all. I always thought that's the worst thing. Sorry, this isn't yeah, helping. it's fine. It's happened. So Are you I... sure it's not a bee? We would have died by now unless it's feasting on my wax. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Of all the things to survive in an ear, a bee Yeah. be loving it. Loving life. Because it's the same kind of wax. Yeah, That's you, why it's called wax. Yeah, and you put all that those flowers down your ear every now and then. Yeah, because you have to keep your ears smelling fragrant. Absolutely. So pollen, it's happy with pollen. You'll have honey. Do I have a hive? <laughs> a hive mind? Oh. oh. I will become more powerful than you can ever imagine. We will become more powerful. Yes, we. What? Who's we? We will become more powerful. Oh. See, improv. Great. Yeah, See how we good. just slip back into it after hearing that. Yeah. Well, he just never leaves you. Other <laughs> um, news, I now live with you. Yay. Rob now mm. lives in the love shack. Mm. Indeed. The Hollowdale Manor. The Hollowdale Manor. We'll be getting you working. Yeah. You, what? What? Get me working. Yeah, you've got, you know... The cheaper rent, you have the work to do. What work? The ironing. Uh, oh, I did all the washing up I today. I haven't got an ironing board. I did the washing up. I haven't got an iron. Who yeah. irons anyway? What is the point of ironing? Creases. Who cares about creases? Just don't wear things that crease. Mummy irons my shirt sometimes. It Does makes she... me look nicer. 
But you wear like thick cotton things. They don't cre- crease. Uh, some of them do. Mm. One's from Primark. No, just hold them up. Yeah, well, yeah, just put them up in the shower. Oh, genius. Life hacks. I don't know. Whatever. Yeah, I live with you and Josh now. And we will either become movie extraordinaire geniuses or all kill each other. Mm. Or three sad men in a flat. Yeah, forever. Follow us on uh, follow us at North Hearts FM at Screen underscore Bucket on Twitter and so forth and the other stuff. Okay, should... that was one way of reading that. Let's do another way, shall we? Yeah. Follow North Hearts FM at North Hearts FM on Twitter and Instagram. Follow Screen Bucket at screen underscore bucket or follow Hollowdale Media at Hollowdale Media. So you have it like written under your eyelids <laughs> and then you can just blink and you can read it. And that's why I always forget the the order. It's not the words, it's the it's the voice. What's happened? I've, You're like melting in front of me. It's because of the stupid pensions information <laughs> I've been trying to absorb all week. <laughs> There's so many pensions at the new job. Pensions are fun, aren't they? (laughs) 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 Pensions is humanity's way of telling you that when you get older, you're going to be poor. And if you don't do anything about it now, your life will suck and you will die miserable. So it's a reminder that unless you don't make sacrifices now, you'll be miserable later. So it's all to do with misery. And it's all our fault. What they should do yeah. is what they did in midsummer, and when we're seventy-two years old, they should make us jump off a cliff and land on a rock. Spoilers. And then, nah. <laughs> no. I would like. I would prefer to not have a pension and live, go on holiday more, and then have to jump on a rock when I'm. Well, let's face it. We're going to have a war, or a cataclysm before between now and our retirement, yes. anyway. Yeah, might as well not bother. Might as well. Don't make a pension. Live life. Mm. Something horrible is going to happen in the next 30 years that's going to make pensions irrelevant. There There's must be. no doubt. Money is going to fall off the planet face of yeah. the earth. There'll we'll, be an oil crisis and we'll all be scavenging, eating dog food in a desert. We'll be eating each other. Mm. We'll be eating each other. But then everyone would go vegan between now and then as well. well then the then what will they eat? Then <laughs> the vegans will rule the earth. And then they'll die out. Because they'll run out of food. What is the vegan fad? Right now. What's going on? Everyone seems to be turning vegan. It's like a virus. Maybe it is. Maybe it is. Have you seen any badgers recently? No. Do you think they're connected? Yeah. <laughs> I can't remember the last time I saw a badger. And I've only ever seen dead ones. I've only, I've never, I don't think I've ever seen a badger here. I used to see them a lot around Bath. Bath. Well, I see West him in the shower. <laughs> Have you ever seen a shower badger? Uh, no. They wear those, a really silly yellow shower cap. They go... Really? Is that because they've got honey on them? Yeah. So the honey badgers go washing themselves off. That's why they're so annoyed. Yeah. They're all sticky. And that's why I have a hive mind... Because it keeps the badgers um, 
I don't want to be sticky. I want to see more, no, it attracts them. I want to see badgers, which is why I said this is why I have tinnitus because uh, I haven't been seeing any badgers. So I have to put um, honey and bees in my ear. Right. And then if I put honeys and bees in my ear, then the badgers will eventually come. Right. <sighs> have you ever seen a jam lemming? Mm, what's that? Well, it's like a honey badger, but... <laughs> That's why they always fall off cliffs. Yeah. Because they slip off to them. <laughs> slip off, in yeah. jam. Yeah, people keep putting cream on top of them, despite the fact that the cream should be below them. <laughs> I've creamed below a lemming. <laughs> yeah? Uh, Have you? Yeah. Do they like that? No. Do they not? <laughs> they get really annoyed. I hate it. <laughs> they screech and bite. They immediately throw themselves off cliffs. Yeah. To it's end a, it all. It's a trauma thing. It's a trauma. Are lemmings all permanently 72 years old? That's why lemmings ha- don't have pensions, because when they're 72, they jump off, off the, the cliff. cliff. Bam. I'm glad we worked that out. Yeah. And I hope you listening at home, because the microphone's still on, would you believe? Mm. <laughs> now now mm. understand. Lemmings and pensions. Lemming, pension lemmings. Pension lemmings. Lemtions. Pennings. <laughs> That's not even funny. Everything's <laughs> funny, but it's not. I need to stop. I need to go to bed. I don't understand what the things and uh, what are, what is anymore. Really? Nah. No. Mm. So that's not what you said is not true. What? What's pension lemming? What? Well, meerkats are insurance, so why not a lemming ah. pension? Okay, that makes even more sense now. It makes too much sense, yeah. if anything. Compare the meerkat, jam the lemming. <laughs> In the plug. <laughs> uh, right, should we go? Yes. All right, see you later, everyone. Right. See you in another couple of weeks. All right, bye.